I'm Barbara Slate, and I'm a comic book graphic novelist. Comic book artist, writer, and graphic novelist, which are the same thing. Only one sounds smarter. That's it. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Now, normally we don't talk about comics. How long have you been doing Biblia? How long have you been doing this? Probably about five or six years. Ah. I met some amazing people. And normally you don't talk about comics because... Because comics are are for people who don't like books. You know that's not true. I love books. That's why I was trying to provoke you there. <laughs> you did. <laughs> it's, um, you almost left. Yeah, yeah. I did. I yeah. almost left. Yeah. I was insulted. I um, almost took my dog and left. Why are comics for people who love books then? Well, a lot of people don't like comics, actually. It's true. It's, uh, it still has a, a bit of a stigma. Actually, it's become the new thing. Graphic novels and libraries, librarians are really into having sections of graphic novels. It's getting kids back in the libraries. Kids were just not interested. And the first time I got a call from a librarian, it was um, in Claverick Library, which is about 15 minutes from here. And the woman who was um, president of the board called me and said, would you do a graphic novel class in our library? I said, yeah, I'd love to, because I've been writing Getting Married and Other Mistakes, sitting alone, by, you know, just very uh, isolated, and um, I just thought, what a wonderful thing to teach kids, teenagers, and gets me out of the house. And I'd never taught before, but I thought, what a wonderful opportunity. So I called the library at the Claverick Library because I thought about my, I thought about what I was going to teach. It was going to be a six-week course, and I said, "Teaching is the best way to learn, isn't it?" Oh, oh, oh absolutely. Uh, that's how I wrote this book by learning what my kids needed to learn, back and forth. Yes, when you become a teacher by your pupils, you'll be taught. Remember that from the King yeah. and I? I got the words wrong, but something like that. Mm-hmm. So I called the librarian and I said. Um, Let's cap it at 15, because I didn't think I could give anybody instructions if it was a bigger than 15 class. And she laughed, and she says, if I get five teenagers in my library, I will, I don't know what she said, but something like, do the jig. I mean, she was so, she laughed at me. Mm-hmm. And we got 15. We got 15 mm. and a waiting list. So that was the first time I knew that there was something going on with these kids who were interested in learning how to do graphic novels and it was an incredible class I mean filled with these it was not rowdy it was just teenagers boys half boys and half girls I was afraid I was going to get 15 superhero boys I I think I had a couple who did superheroes but not that many and uh, it was an amazing very concentrated class and when you talk about learning I had done a six-week schedule about what I... The first week I was going to talk about creativity. The second I was going to talk about plotting. And the third about character development. I had my whole... What about drawing? Well, that's We're, character. Character that's development. Character development. And then layout would be the drawing of it. So I okay. had like six weeks pretty well mapped out. And I was stood in front of that class. And within... I think it was like eight minutes I had gone through my entire six weeks. (laughs) Now what do I talk about? I was 
I, I just, like, I thought, and these kids were, like, looking, and they were drawing. I thought, I have shot my load. You know, that's it. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Were they all pretty good drawers to start with? Well, there's all different levels. Yeah, okay. Well, the, 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 in the this, this 15, there were a couple of really good artists. And then I realized that they just wanted to get busy. They didn't want to listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to hear my voice. Yeah. They just wanted to get busy. So that's what I did. We just, I just said, okay, get at it. Let's just do it. And then I just walked around the room and I held a couple characters up and we talked about it. Got feedback. You know, what is his name? Where is he from? Tell me about your character. Tell me about his background. Mm-hmm. Does he have? Family. The common thread is all these kids, when they did their Bible, their character Bible, which is everything you need to know about your character and more, age, background, siblings, they all, when it said parents, background, most of the parents were dead. They had these really terrible stories about how the parents got mutilated, killed, and um, I just thought for a while it concerned me. I thought, what's going on with this new generation of kids? But I mm-hmm. realized they just wanted their character to have total independence. Which is, you could say, reflective of their dislike of their parents or their dislike of authority. I, I think or... it's just teenagers. They didn't want any constraints on their character. That's a pretty dramatic, not a trope, but a a storyline right there. That's right. That they don't have parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where they wanted to start. Uh, you know, I've been teaching now for about five years, and some kids have great family backgrounds, but most of them have traumatic family backgrounds. Yeah. And of course, why, why not? That's really, it's a more interesting story. Having a rosy perfect little childhood is... Where do you go from there? Yeah, Dickens, you know. But on the other hand, if they're all doing it, it's just, then it gets pretty tired after a while, right? Well, you would be surprised. Mm. You would be surprised how mm. they get rid of their parents. <laughs> okay, so, oh, this, so this includes getting rid of them. Sometimes. Well, you know, look at Batman, right? And yeah. how his dad was shot at, yeah, and, by a criminal. And, yes, well, so and, it, and it motivates. The, the Punisher um, saw his family getting killed, and that was his whole modus operandi. And so he just was going out to seek revenge on the death of his family. Maybe could you just tell us about what you're most proud of having done in your career? I, it, you know, I do a lot. I, I've been writing girls, girl characters who are really strong characters, like even Belle from Beauty and the Beast. She, I loved, I loved writing Belle. She's a, a good reader, and she didn't take any crap from the Beast. I did a lot of Barbie, and when we did Barbie, Barbie became a feminist because every month, I did 65 Barbie comics, and every month Barbie could live anywhere. She could do anything. She could go to the moon. She could be a model. She could be a teacher. Every month there was a different... I mean, she really was the girl who did it all. And um, But I would actually say that my first character was Angel Love, so that would probably be the one that I'm most attached to because it's. Uh, she was a girl who came from a small town, came to New York. She um, worked as a waitress and she was an artist, so she was the closest to my to me. Mm, autobiographical, so, semi autobiographical. Yeah. Most of my 
work is uh, a lot of it is semi autobiographical, but the the women characters mm. are very strong and very unlike the ones that I were brought was brought up with. You know, like Snow White and every everybody was kind of dependent on a man, mm-hmm. and uh, or getting get, married to, uh, or, or getting married yeah. to, or yeah, you know, waking up and there's the prince. So mm-hmm. um, defines themselves in terms of yes, yeah, a man. Even the Disney characters, they, I did some Pocahontas. They have very strong father figures, Belle and Pocahontas and um, Ariel from Little Mermaid. They all have fathers, but all the mothers are dead. So there's that kind of uh, question of, are these characters, why did they get rid of the mothers? Is it because the mother and the daughter relationship is so difficult? Or is it because all the writers were men at that time? So one never knows, but they they all just eliminated the mom, just gone. They meaning the male writers to start with, mm-hmm. and you were sort of you were tasked with yes continuing the right. storyline because when you get your when you have to Disney, you get a, a box about a huge box filled with all the characters, all the descriptions, how they look from one side to another side, all that. And then um, they do bios of all the characters, and they sent the script, which was this thick, that I read over and over, and then watching the movies over and over again to get to hear their voices. And once I got their voices, I was good to go, especially with Lumiere and Cogsworth. They were always fighting. So those, those characters were in my head for a couple of years. I loved doing them. So you were able to introduce your role models for the readers in a way. That's quite powerful and influential. Yes, yes. Oh, the characters were already done. The characters were already done, but you're turn, you're sending them in a direction that's, that's I did my own different. Stories. Yes, that's also affecting the way a whole generation yes. may think about it what a woman can or can't do. Totally empowering for me. I I just I loved writing those characters because each one of these these comics, this you know Beauty and the Beast, each edition. Would sell millions, right? Yes, but it's it's not only that. It's that the um, what I was instructed to do from Tom DeFalco, who was editor in chief, was to put Belle in the cat in the castle with the Beast, and so it was that push pull of that love story, and then um, all the characters were part of that um, that story. So I could make up every month. I made up my own story, and I sent it to my editor at Marvel, who sent it to Disney. And so I had a lot of editing in the beginning, especially. But then once I caught on to the whole thing, then it just went. And I was able to do my own characters. I did a book binder, (laughs) which was so fabulous to be able to, you know, like I slipped a book binder in there to see if they would say, no, 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 you can't. I did a book binder. There was another character I did, I forget. Um, That was exciting to be, to introduce my own characters to that. Wonderful family. Are these are these still going ongoing or not? No, no. 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 Uh, there was a there was a period of time in the nineties when Marvel was doing ca- uh, comics for girls, mm-hmm. and then what happened is it it was bought out by Ron Perlman and his gang, who came in and very proudly said, "We know nothing about comics," and they just kind of took over and uh, had no real passion for the industry. 
and they basically raped the industry. Uh, one day they looked at the bottom line and said, oh, well, these comics are not selling as well mm-hmm. because it was just the beginning of the girls' line because at that time there were, it was 95% boys and 5% yeah. girls, so yeah. we were starting, and every month that we were we were climbing and climbing, and then they came in and did a bottom line. One day I walked in and all my comics were gone. Barbie, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, boom, gone. That's from Disney or from Marvel? Marvel. And they just said, forget it, we're just going with what sells. Whatever. Or what, even though yes, yours were growing. Yes, every month. And we got more uh, mail from girls. I got m- so much fan mail. It was in the 90s. I, I don't know the exact date, but it was devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Really devastating. Now, has the, has that been taken over, taken no, up by others, it has never, or not really? It's no. Well, what happened was the uh, insurgence of the the manga, manga came yeah. In. So yeah. that became really big. So now the comic book reader is half and half. But still, okay. today, if you go to Marvel or DC Comics, you don't see any having anything really much to do with girls. Scooby Doo, and but there's nothing that that is a strong uh, girls line the way it started to be here. So. Isn't that interesting? So it took the Japanese to basically bring to Absolutely. even it up. Absolutely. Yeah. So even when I teach today, there's a whole group of girls who do mangas, and that's the thing. Which I'm not a big fan of manga at all. I don't like this. Why not? I don't like the pointedness of it. I don't like the the way it looks on a page. It's, it's not human enough, or I, I just don't. The characters don't reach me, yeah. and uh, you know they they've got those big eyes and. You know the points, and and it changed the way Disney does characters now today because the kids are so used to seeing those angles rather than that soft softness of yeah. these beautiful Disney characters. So I'm not a big fan. Mm-hmm. So we started off by talking about the fact that the book the bibliophiles may not think too highly of comics, and you're suggesting that they, they haven't read them. They haven't read them. You look at somebody like Neil Gaiman, you know, you want to cry when you look at his work. It's so beautiful. I, I know that there's a really strong pull. You know, the Sandman and mm-hmm. then Alan Moore mm-hmm. and Mouse, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And Persepolis. There's a lot of women now who are doing their semi-autobiographies. So it's it's starting to be a, a big uh, pull now. Yeah. And again, it's... a. Uh, it's a visual draw as as much as a, a storyline draw. Yeah, and um, a lot of the a lot of the graphic novels are very dark. I think they're coming out of their darkness now. Certainly, my story is when you read "Getting Married" and other mistakes. There's an underlying sadness to it, but there's also a lot of comedy. I like things to be fun, and I, I like humor. That's why "Beauty and the Beast" was so much fun to do. What's next on the agenda? You know, I've been I've been struggling with that because, you know, aside from teaching, which I love to do, I'm I'm going to do a summer workshop with the Girl Scouts, and I have a couple of classes coming up, and I'm starting to teach women. To I'm teaching at an art school, in the Berkshires on um, graphic novels, and it's uh, it's going to be for women, older women. So aside from the teaching. I, I just, I really didn't want to do anything for a while. After getting married and other mistakes, that took me almost 14 years to finish. You know, I was doing other things in between. Mm-hmm. I did, um, you can do a graphic novel. and But it really took a lot 
out of me. And so I thought, I'm just not going to do anything for a while. And not doing anything is the most difficult thing. Because I, what? Because you feel guilty about not doing You anything? just don't know, what are you going to do? I mean, when you say, like I worked with a life coach, and my decision to not do anything mm-hmm. was uh, a real struggle. And he said, just see what happens and see what goes and see, you know, just let it, don't do anything. Yeah, because it's almost like I know, you know, when you create something, it's almost as if you're doing it to defeat the passage of time. You know, you've only got a certain amount of time on earth. I want to leave something that's significant, that's part of me. So I need to keep doing, creating. I don't feel that way. I feel like I have, I've done like 300 comic books. I've done Yuppies from Hell, from Marvel. I've done... All this, I've got a massive, massive body of work. A legacy. So, well, I I don't know if anybody is going to call it a... Who knows? I mean, but I I know that I I, I feel like, what am I going to do, another Barbie book? I mean, I could be doing Barbie until the day I died, and I'd be happy doing it. But I don't feel like I need to. So I, I felt like if I could ever just finish getting married in other mistakes, which was so difficult to do, and actually get it sold and actually get it out there in the market. That's all I needed to do. But of course, now that I've done that, I I don't have a strong desire to... uh, And and as I said to you earlier, I'm not in the city. And I'm not anywhere except in, you know, mostly walking around here. Which is beautiful in the countryside. Yeah. Hudson Valley. Yeah, so what do I want, to be a painter? No, I really don't want to paint. So, I, I don't know. I think doing nothing at this moment is okay. And I started writing my um, autobiography. Not through... It, it, because there's nobody else... I mean, there's nothing else I can do. I mean, there's nobody to talk to, basically. <laughs> and so I started writing these stories about uh, about my Marvel days. And some of the funny things that happened at the um, comic conventions, like watching William Shatner with his tre- Trekkies come up. To the Marvel booth, I was signing Barbie and just watching him. He tried to jump over and he fell. And uh, just some of the crazy things that you see at these comic conventions. So I started writing these stories and I showed that to my um, agent. And uh, he kind of said, well, who's going to buy this book? And that's true. Who Who is going to buy this book? Especially I, if your name hasn't been out front. Or... In the comic industry, my name is out front. But so what? Well, if it ha- if it comes, people who love your work are going to buy it. Yes, and that and that's is significant. Not really. I don't think so. Well, I started writing these stories because I I do a slideshow, and I veer off from my slideshow and tell stories. So I started writing my doing my slideshow again because I always am updating it because I do do a talk on my life in comics at you know it's at different bookstores and I actually I do that a lot at bookstores and. And it's fun, and I get a, I've gotten a nice I get really nice crowds. Every time I do it, I I thought oh this would be better this way, and I you know change it around. I thought oh I think I've got a book here, so then I started veering off from my slideshow into this book, and this is like the Who Cares book. But um, I I think that the fact that there are so few women who were in comics when I started, there were just two of us who were writing and drawing. The other one was. From the West Coast, Trina Robbins, who uh, who is who I really love, and um, she's actually does the history of women in comics. 
not that I want to do that, but she's a, she's a very good historian mm-hmm. or her historian, as she would say. And so I started thinking of doing stuff about being a woman in this fiercely dominated male industry and how that I have a, a lot of stories. So I started writing that. And so from there, I think it's that's the slant, you know, a woman in comics. And there are mm. so many girls today who are so interested in doing cartooning. I thought, oh, that's a, that's a way of doing it. So I'm thinking about it, so I'm going back to my agent to tell him I got a hook because it's like, if oh, Barbara Slate, my life, who cares? You know, but if it's like, you know, my life in comics in a fiercely dominated male, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Or, or yeah, as you say, you can do it too if you're, if you're yes. a woman. It's not something that's... It's easier today. Yeah. That would be kind of what I'm writing about now. It's not doing it as a graphic novel. It's oh, you're actually going to yeah, produce a book, not yeah. a graphic novel. Yeah. So you write, you Why know, not a graphic novel? Well, because I've already done that with okay. Getting Married and Other Mistakes. That's pretty okay. much my story. So, But to you t- feel that it's better told just in words alone? I, I have some pictures, I but um, I'm not doing it as a graphic novel. But it's a totally different thing because, you know, walking into the office looking from side to side of the blah, 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 and da, da, da. So I've got to really paint the picture rather than paint the picture. So it, it's a totally different thing. I'm getting better at it, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where that it's going to take me. But I just have to hear one person saying, who cares? And it kind of throws me into a, you know, because mm-hmm. I have that voice in my head anyway. So who cares? Well, it's interesting that you've already produced a, a, a body of work that you're happy mm-hmm. with. Yes. You have almost have to work at some sort of motivation to, to motivate yourself to tell Absolutely. you, well, why am I doing this? And you're doing it for other younger women? Yeah, but I also am doing it because I do have a story to tell. Because it's it really was a, a time in history of comics where there really were no women. There were editors, and strangely enough... The pioneer. And, and the actually the president of DC Comics was a woman at that time. So um, there were women in the field, but not women creators, writing and drawing. So it, it is a period of time that doesn't get discussed much, especially from a woman's point of view. That's what I'm working on now, or thinking about now. But, you know, if I drop dead tomorrow, I think I'd, I'd be happy with what I did. And I hope at my funeral, all my stories would be hung up somewhere. Somebody would take the time to say, ah, look, here's another Archie story. So. But they are doing that right now, aren't they? On a yes, site. it's actually happening a bit. What is that site again? It's Comics Resource it's actually called Comics Should Be Good. That's the name where that's the heading. Comics Should Be Good, okay. and then Barbara Slate, and then there's a whole. It's it's a wonderful weekend review, which is on that website right mm-hmm. now. And what's the website? You know, it's at comicresource.com. Comic book resource. Okay. It's, it's a CBR. So if you Google that, now is that going? That'll be up there. It's not going to disappear, uh, right? No, but it'll be up there, but you have to put my name on there too. Okay, and that'll give people an a taste of. 
or, how you've evolved over the years? Or your you work? could go to my website, barbaraslate.com, and then you can see everything. Okay. Uh, and then you can do a graphic novel. It's also my website if you want to hire me to come somewhere. <laughs> and talk about Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. okay. Final question, who, did you enjoy re- or being Betty's voice or Veronica's voice? Whose voice did you prefer to write? Well, the question in my youth was, are you a Betty or a Veronica? Mm-hmm. And I was Betty with a passionate desire to be Veronica. <laughs> um, and then I had a friend who was very Veronica, who thought she was Betty. So um, I could jump into her head. Yeah, I have to have a go-to person. So for Betty, I was my go-to person. For Veronica, there was a friend who I could just, I, I, I got her. So um, I could do both of them. And Betty is very much like Barbie. So I was doing a lot of Bettys and I was doing a lot of Barbie. Uh, it, they almost interchanged. Betty had a little more of a bite to her. I made her a little bit more of a bite than um, than Barbie, but um, I really liked doing their relationship, Betty and Veronica, and I liked the idea that they were best friends for eighty years, and both loved the same boy, and somehow their friendship survived. So I loved writing about their friendship rather than it all about fighting over Archie. Because again, that's sort of defining yourself. Mm-hmm. In relation to the male, right? Mm-hmm. So you try what well, you tried to sort of I wrote, move shift that a yes, bit. Yes, I did. I wrote about their friendship a lot, and I also liked putting those girls in humiliating situations where they would do something so embarrassing because girls, young girls especially, are so hard on themselves that to show these characters having this horrible situation and how they got out of it and maybe even learn from it. So I, I love... And stayed friends. And, well, it, it, like it, even a Betty story where she goes, she trips on the runway. She wants to be this kind of model. And anyway, she trips on the runway. It's fun showing them doing really humiliating things and then surviving. They don't have to do it together. They could do it separately, but either one of them and then also I loved writing them because I could talk about pop culture. of um, Like I would watch TV and see Paris Hilton holding a dog, a little puppy. And so, of course, Veronica has to go out and buy a little puppy. And Betty's saying, it's a real live thing. You've got to take care. And Veronica's going, look at the wardrobe. I got. Isn't this cute? And forgetting how to, and of course, at the end, Taking care of her puppy is too much for Veronica, so she can't deal with it. So things in pop culture, also the, um, you know, P. Diddy, who does that white party in the Hamptons. Have you heard about that? Oh, anybody who's, anybody gets invited. Oh, it's so exciting. And so I have a, um, a story about Veronica being on the list to get into this very fancy party. And Betty, of course, is not invited. And, but Veronica finds out that Reggie's invited and then Archie's invited and when she finds out Jughead's invited, she's like, that's it, I'm not going. So just, I, I love doing stuff with pop culture. So the question was, who do I like better? Yeah, yeah it sounds to me like it, you love the, the interaction. Yes, and all yeah. those characters. Yeah. And, the, and, and Archie was always a difficult one for me because 
I couldn't understand why these two great girls loved him so much. But living with Richard, I was able to get into the Archie head. Because if you watch, if you watch Richard during a day, and of course we're, we walk around this big house, just the two of us, but if you watch him, he stumbles on things and he tries to be debonair and kind of misses sometimes. So I got into Richard's my go-to Archie person. So I was able to start seeing it from a man's point of view and started loving Archie and seeing how I could get Understanding him. him understanding him and yeah. understanding his conflict with these two girls. It wasn't that he thought he was so cool. It's just that he sincerely loved both of them. And so how to... He would ruminate about the girls and then Jughead was kind of the one who said... And you, you got to do something. And so he started volunteering at this place, and and it just helped him out a lot. There's a lot of things that I did with Archie that I never, I couldn't, I can't. I I started really writing Archie and loving to write Archie. So that was a big awakening. So even so, I actually loved. If you if you say Betty Veronica Archie, I would have to say that I loved writing Archie because it was such a challenge for me. You know. I, I loved actually writing all of them. Yeah, I just say, I guess the, the thing that's most interesting about your career is the huge impact you have on a generation mm -hmm. and the responsibility that you have, I mm -hmm. suppose, to deliver... Not necessarily the right message, but a message that you don't want to be too sort of sucky, but you also don't want to send that generation down the wrong path. Do right. I, I, my stories usually have an edge to them, but um, I'm very, very um, aware of sending a message of, I don't want to say good versus evil, but mm -hmm. there is something that they get out of it. You know, whether it's volunteering or the Betty and Veronica, of course, have uh, Betty is so good and Veronica is so self-centered. The the way they talk to each other, I, I play them off each other. And then I have sometimes Veronica says, gee, everybody loves Betty. Maybe I should try to be more like Betty. And so she, she'll she try that for a little while and see and see what happens. And and also Betty gets, says, you know, Veronica, look how beautiful she is. Everybody worships her you know maybe i should try to be more like her what so what years did you go i've been doing betty and veronica for maybe 15 years something like that and you continue to do no no, no. i don't do it today it's it's a they're just doing right now they're doing reprints and when did you stop then a few years ago they have a gay character out now i was going to say because it's a suggestion that jughead may have been in that category but maybe not Oh, gay? Yeah. No, Jughead was gay. Right? No, he had a girl who was chasing him. Chasing him, but but he was okay with that, I guess, or maybe not. But he, Jughead was mostly into food. Okay, so he was asexual then. He had some really good things to say to Archie yeah, okay. about life. I think I always looked at Jughead as more of a philosopher. 
who liked food. Who liked food. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, who was skinny and he liked food. And he would just tell Archie the way things were. At the end, Archie said, I can't believe I listened to Jughead. Look at the trouble I got into. But he would listen because Jughead had some good, uh, he had a good rap. Well, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. On well, the, thank you. On the recording device. Uh, and you actually got that? Everything's being recorded? I hope so. I hope so, too. Thanks very much for your time. Oh, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad to meet you. After Likewise. You just come in here to interview Richard, and then you got a twofer. A twofer. Yeah, I'm lucky. And now it's Sparky's turn. Yeah. Can you bark, Spark? What do you have to say, Sparky? Bark? No. Strong, silent, huh?